The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. That's interesting. Yeah. My wife is the same way. Mulan is her. She's like, I'm not a princess. I, I prefer Mulan. Oh, I'm totally a princess, but I love Mulan. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to a special Disney edition of The Legendarium Podcast. We hope you enjoy our discussion today as we cover the magic of Disney in storytelling. Please remain seated, permanecer sentados, por favor, as we introduce your panelists. He's loud and grumpy. He's our own version of Harold the Yeti. Steer your bobsleds away. It's Ken Johnson. Yeah, with 20% more dopey to go with it. <laughs> As sweet as a warm churro and as bright as the nighttime fireworks spectacular, it's Megan Smythe. Hi, everybody. I have nothing clever. <laughs> <laughs> He's so Disney that I hear they're considering giving him a permanent address on Main Street, USA. It's special guest Jim Christian. Oh, from your lips to Walt's ears. <laughs> and I'm your host, your ghost host. Oh, no. Ryan no. Bruckman. <laughs> All right. Really quick before we get to before we begin, let's get through the housekeeping. Uh, subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher, support the show on Patreon, and join the conversation on Discord, Reddit, and most social media. All right, that's the housekeeping. That's everything else. I think it's time to talk Disney with the Disney people. Are, are you going to be doing that announcer voice this whole time? Because I kind of like it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Craig does not like it. The peanut gallery backers going, no, please don't, please don't. <laughs> no, that's actually my uh, Bill Rogers impression, who's the voice of Disneyland. Yeah, nice. he, uh, he and his wife, Camille, are the voices of the two parks. Actually, I don't know if they still live here, but they were, they, at least a few years ago, were residents here in Utah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So, I I have great dreams one day yes. of being a voice in Disney. So, okay. The uh, the goal today, we're, we're going to talk about storytelling, uh, because that's kind of what the Legendary Podcast is about, is storytelling. And we're going to mm -hmm. focus on how Disney tells stories. But before we get too far into the storytelling aspect, I'd like to establish a little bit of Disney cred here from our panelists. So just tell us really quick your early connections with Disney. Why don't we start with you, Ken? I first went to Disney. My, my first memory of going to Disney was when I was about 10, 8 to 10, somewhere in that early 80s. Uh, still back in the days where they had the tickets, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I didn't realize at the time exactly what I was what what Disney was about and what I was about in Disney. But by the time I got to college life, I realized this is a thing that I want to be about this, this whole Disney thing. It's just fun. It's been being at the park. Great. Go ahead, Meg. Uh, I probably, my introduction to Disney, my dad has always been a fan. He grew up in California in the fifties and went to Disneyland when it was brand new and would tell stories. I know he's had a Mickey Mouse watch, um, a vintage Mickey Mouse watch that he just keeps replacing the watch band on. So we would go and we'd visit. But I um, probably my main is uh, from the movies and the little golden books. I don't know if anybody else remembers those, but I've oh, always been yeah. about Disney characters. Remembers them. Come on. Some of us still have them. Some of this include me. <laughs> 
All right, Jim, what about you? What was your, what are your early connections to Disney? Combination for me. Uh, we went when my, when I was five years old with my family. Also, I started playing piano when I was six and my mom was a big musician. And so filled our house with music, including Disney music, sheet music and recordings. And I'm also from the age of running home to see the wonderful world of Disney on television and the original Mickey Mouse Club. And I also take pride in the fact that my day of birth is one day, one month, and one year away from the opening of Disneyland. Mm -hmm. Which we're going to kind of celebrate again this year now that they're hoping to reopen the parks same on, day. On the birthday. Yeah. Which I think if there's a more fitting day, I can't think of it. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, yesterday we would all nice. want to be there, like, now. But, okay. Although, Jim, I, I want to point out, he has a very special connection to Disney right now that he does, you know, microphones and all that as well. I do. I have a podcast called That Old Mouse Magic that has just started, and just today we hit our 1,000th download. So we're Ooh. delighted. Just barely got started. But, uh... Yeah, I've already had Ken and Megan both do interviews that'll be podcast later on. So, Ryan, you're next. Oh, all right. I'm ready. Coming I, up. I'm ready, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about storytelling. And uh, I always hate when we start out and you get into like, the Webster's Dictionary definition of storytelling is, but... The Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> Webster's defines fantasy. I do think we should take a minute to kind of identify what are some of the storytelling pieces that are important so that we can have a common definition there for them when we talk about disney versus you know this is something that disney does exceptionally well but it's also a piece that you'll see in any storytelling piece um so toss out to you guys what are some storytelling tropes or some sto uh, storytelling elements that you recognize uh in disney's work one of the things that i always go to is i took screenwriting class and that was very instrumental in solidifying some of those components for me. And I think that key things that Disney is great at is having an inciting incident, something that kicks the action into play, introduction of characters, giving backstory, and then creating a series of events that leads to the final battle. And after that final battle, you have your denouement when everything unravels and you find out where people are going from there. I agree. I think that's pretty standard. I, mean, I feel like that's pretty standard across all their mediums. Yeah. There, so. Well, I, I think uh, part of maybe not a fun. Well, I'm going to say a fundamental part of fantasy storytelling is the fantastical setting. Also, it, it, it's something that is. Well, I'm going to say fantastical again, but it, something that's unique. There's there's magic involved, or there's something that is is unique is different than real life, I guess we'll say, you know, castles, for example, magical yeah. animals, magic, that sort of thing. And, and most Disney stories incorporate some aspect of that. I think that Disney is absolutely a master of creating environment so oh, yeah, that absolutely. you go, ah, it's an Arabian night. Here we are with Aladdin and we're in the desert. Well, 101 Dalmatians, we get spots all over the screen in the opening credits and they just help immerse us in the world that they're about to create. Yeah. I, I feel that that's a piece that is uh, consistent across both their 
uh, media, like their, their movies, their animation, everything here, and their live events, their storytelling in, yes. in their parks and everything. Uh, just the level, um, I think it's in one of the Imagineering story episodes, they talk about like the four levels of, of detail that they have to go to in their storytelling. Yes. You know, being far away, close to all to the point where, you know, a level four, I think it is, you know, it's the door knocker when you're right there. It has to feel real. It has to feel the magic there. Yep. And if you can get to the point as a storyteller, whether as an author or or as, you know, working in theater or anything else, as a storyteller as a whole, if you can start being able to break down and, and be aware of those levels of detail that you have to put in, um, it's going to help you to execute your stories even better and yeah. to know when to put in, you know, when do I need to have this level of detail and when can I go ahead and let it be the 50-foot view of this, you mm-hmm. know, of, of something? Because how many books have we read where we go through whole segments where they're talking about the beauty of the the landscape where everyone kind of like, yeah, okay, that's, Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you. I see it, but I don't need to know how long that tree has been there. I think, you know, and move (laughs) on. So that's part of the things, part of the reason I wanted to talk about Disney, add Disney into our, we're a fantasy podcast and we talk about fantasy stories and it's kind of easy to neglect or brush aside the fact that Disney, that Walt Disney was a master storyteller and that that's the whole foundation of Disney as an organization is those little details. We talk about Brandon, like you said, and, and uh, Robert Jordan, how they, they get into those details. That's all Walt was about was getting every single little detail and, and not just for the sake of the details, but for the sake of making the reader or the viewer or the, uh, Park the goer, guest. the guest, yeah. feel fully immersed in that story. Right down to the smells at, at the park. I mean, yeah. come on. he They don't neglect a single scent, you know. I think it's interesting because when they, uh, when you talk about, especially park experience or whatever, but um, the idea of an immersive, of getting your setting so accurate and so fully immersive that you lose the technological side of it. You lose a lot of the, the you know, yeah, we know it's projection mapping. We know it's all, all these other things. Mm-hmm. But um, I wish I could remember the phrase. Uh, I think it's by not Asimov, one of the authors who said that any technology sufficiently advanced Arthur would. C. Arthur C. Yeah. Clarke. Thank you. Thank you. Arthur C. Clarke. Any technology sufficiently advanced would appear as magic. Yeah. You know, we've talked about that in Lord of the Rings and the Elves and how they don't view their their work as magic or whatever. But in Disney, that is the ultimate goal: is to get your you know especially in the in the park settings is to get your story to the point where those seams disappear yes and you focus just entirely on being immersed in the magic there yeah and i think the i think the people who enjoy it most being in those worlds are those who let the seams disappear mm-hmm. does disney seem to you to have a greater handle on how to portray a villain we're jumping straight to villains. Well, yeah, because I don't know where else to go with, no, with what we were talking about. But uh, the reason I bring it up is because we, we talk about Marvel. One of the biggest complaints about Marvel, which is now a Disney property, is that all of the villains in the Disney or in the in the Marvel properties just seem like carbon copy, hollow versions of the hero that we see once and they're gone, except for a couple of exceptions, Loki, Thanos, you know that. But mm-hmm. it seems like in the Disney animated features, the villains really have some some weight to them. And I, I use this as evidence for this, the fact that a lot of people at the parks, for example, will, will bound as villains, will gravitate to villains, mm-hmm. will 
uh, will take villains or say some of their favorite characters are villains. And I think going back and looking at him, you can really see that he does a good job. They do a good job, I should say, of giving us a reason to care about them, you know, more than just, oh, this is the bad guy. This is what we have to overcome for our heroes. And once that's done, great. You know what I mean? Yeah, that points out a really good. Actually, it's I think one of the pieces of storytelling we haven't touched on yet, and that's character. Yeah. It's it's quality character, and if we and we can jump straight to villains here because, well, they are characters. Yeah, they are characters, um, but I think that is something that is not only done well, or is not only just done well, but it's interesting, especially in the last few years, to watch the variety and the and the adjustment of character styles. You know, in early years we have our our fabulous our, our fan, fantastic five fab five, the Mickey, mm-hmm. you know, Mickey we have that grouping. Yeah. And now we're looking at a new generation here. We've got new characters in Moana, you know, um, the Elsas and Annas and the princesses. You know, we've got the Onward um, yeah. recently. Oh, yeah. Like we have this whole new style of character that's connecting in a little bit different way than, you know, the, the way that the originals might have connected with, the, the classics might have connected with us. But they're still good characters. There's still a connection to them in, inside of their story. Right. I think one of the things that distinguishes Disney villains is how tasty they are. <laughs> They've got flavors. They've and you can start off with Queen Grimhilda, that's her name from Snow White. Yeah. <laughs> um that everybody just thinks is the wicked witch or the evil queen. The evil queen, yeah. Right. But she starts off and she's one of the most two-dimensional of the Disney villains. You know, she's kind of evil and vain. Boom, you got evil in vain. Look how far that has come with Mother Gothel. She's evil, she's vain, but she is so duplicitous. She schemes so much. She is so ruthless. And she plays the good mom, bad mom so beautifully, you know, and just the differences that you get. You take somebody like Yzma, who is just this gorgeous, gorgeous caricature but you buy everything she does and with a voice like eartha kit interpreting <laughs> yeah, that absolutely and you contrast those to somebody like james woods doing hades who is just this creepy goon but when he goes evil he goes way dark and you've got frollo who is like the ultimate dark because there is nothing there's yeah there's no charm no him. humor not an ounce of it in that man and so as you go from piece to piece you see these villains and you go wow what box are they going to unwrap next they are not carbon copies you compare a captain hook to a bowler hat man and you find out that the bowler hat man isn't the villain the villain is doris Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and yeah. just one thing after another, it's just a cavalcade of surprises. And I think that's why we like them so much. I think part of it, too, is they're really they've started building up their protagonists so much. They're making them really complex mm-hmm. characters that we can relate to and we want to look up to where yeah. you have to have a villain that pushes them. somehow. Mm-hmm. So the villains have become a little bit cooler, a little bit craftier. Yeah. Um, they have a whole lot more personality because if you don't care about the villain there, you don't care about the story at all. You need to have a really a good villain to start the journey on start that character on their journey mm-hmm. and really make them shine. Right. 
I was having a conversation about villains a few days ago with my wife uh, because she was doing a watch through of all the animated, just kind of going back through them all. Nice. And we talked about how some of the most dangerous and scary villains in the in the stories that are that they've told aren't your Hades. They're not, you know, it's mm-hmm. it is a Mother Gothel. It's a yep. uh, Lady Tremaine in Cinderella. Yes. Yeah. Oh, delicious. My personal my personal favorite of the one that I was like most afraid of was uh was it Percival C. McLeach from Rescuers Down Under? Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Willing to feed a child to the crocodiles. <sighs> like I, I did not realize, you know, watching it as a kid, that was one of my favorite ones to watch. Cause, yeah. And I'm sitting here going, okay, this is this fun. And I go, wait a minute, this is dark. Mm-hmm. This is a lot darker than I remember. And he's a bad, bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we show this to children. Right. Which, uh, partly because they need to know that there are scary things in the world, but they also need to know that they can overcome it. And, and uh, you know, your skills could be used in a lot of different ways. That's actually something one of our, our uh, listeners, Little Red, uh, Little Red Book on Discord, brought up and asked us. Uh, it says she says, despite the fact that Disney makes kids movies, there are a lot of terrifying images in them. What is the role of confronting ear, fear and evil in stories for kids? Is it important? Is it part of what makes the story compelling? Quick, call Matt Woolley. <laughs> I I'm going to go big yes on that. Mm-hmm. The first animated feature that I saw in a, in a, a theater was Sleeping Beauty. I was sitting on the end. I crawled out of my seat and hid in the aisle from Maleficent Hmm. because she freaked me out. Her goons freaked me out. The shadows dancing on the wall as they're around the fire. She's terrifying. And she doesn't ever, we don't ever get a backstory on her in the original Sleeping Beauty. She just, she's angry. She gives a curse. She's angry for 16 years. She was the unpopular fairy. Yeah. (laughs) And in my opinion, you never get a backstory on her ever. Agreed. Ever it's too bad we never got a backstory They can exist in separate worlds. No. You can let no. it go, Ken. No. Fine. No. Don't hold it back Ken anymore. No. <laughs> Are you going to start singing Let It Go, Ken? Well, you said Let It Go, so I... Uh... Okay. But right. Yeah, there's no backstory from Maleficent. There just isn't. Right. Some people are just bad, okay? And that's the way it is. We Ken? should let Jim finish his thought. Please. Anyway. <laughs> um, whatever that thought was. No, but just, just saying that... Uh, it's okay to have bad people in stories and bad forces in stories so that children learn how to discern between who to trust and who to not trust and to sugarcoat everything so that children don't have a sliding scale that they have to learn about evaluating choices and consequences and things like that, I think does a horrendous disservice I think that when, you know, we gloss over, uh, <laughs> okay, true confessions here. In in quarantine, I have been binge watching Desperate Housewives. I love that show. <laughs> which I started watching because they ran it on a loop on a Disney cruise. And so when we go back to our cabins, we would all turn that on and see it. Disney-owned channel, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's ABC. ABC. And one of the episodes is about a school play with children and they're doing Little Red Riding Hood and they want, there's one of the women who wants to take the wolf out of the equation because she thinks it will terrorize the children and everybody else goes to bat against her and in essence, she becomes the big bad wolf in the Mm -hmm. (laughs) storyline. What's interesting to me is, Will, 
we show these kids these scary experiences, but they're in a safe place. They're in our living room. We're in a movie theater. You know, if you're on an attraction at Disneyland, you're sitting next to your mom, like somebody who can take care of you, somebody who can keep the villains away. So you kind of, you start to realize this is a manageable thing. They're scary, but you're still safe. They become, I think they become really good teachable moments for those who have kids or who are connected in raising a child in some way. They're very teachable moments uh, when you use these stories. We've talked about that multiple times about the use of stories to teach and to, you know, as adults, we try and pull story uh, lessons out of our fantasy and out of our uh, different readings so that we can better ourselves. Mm -hmm. Well, the children are doing the same thing with these stories here. I remember um, my, my son does not like going to movies he doesn't like going to the theaters he loves watching stuff on tv at home mm-hmm. or whatever but does not like going to the movie theaters and so we tried for the second time to take him to a movie um and we took him to see ralph uh breaks the internet yes and for the most part like he was fine he was enjoying whatever and then we get to the part the in the mega film ralph. where you get the mega ralph made mm-hmm. from uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it i guess but Ugh. at this point spoiler is it's, it's been, out. been out for several years. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's your loss. But but he he actually freaked out when that showed up and started like he climbed over mm-hmm. into my seat and climbed like and was starting to like cry. He's like, I don't want to watch this. I want to go. I want to go. And I was like, mm-hmm. This is not what I expected you. I mean, it's a yes, it's a big uh, scary character, but you you recognize Ralph. You re- like, mm-hmm. and so it took me it gave me a little bit of time to to talk with my son and be like, What you know? So what scared you about this? What's going on? And you know, we were able to talk about it afterwards and kind of calm his nerves a little bit. Um, he still hasn't watched it again, but... <laughs> yeah. But but you find out what your children are ready for by yeah. giving them these experiences. You know, you, you go, okay, that was a little intense, so now where do we go from here? How do we talk about it? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one of the things that I think is fantastic about Disney stories is they are never without a lesson. They are never without a moral. They are never without a purpose. We tell this story so that we know that, you know, it isn't just good conquers evil. That one's kind of universal, but we find so many more sophisticated themes being brought into these about, you know, find the resources within yourself, learn to sacrifice for somebody else or a greater good. Um, You can rely on other people who are with you. Absolutely. Community. It's a really big one. I yeah. think they're a, they're a great way also to help, even as an adult, if you're trying to get better at identifying theme in mm-hmm. in storytelling, in your in your work or whatever, go back and, and deal with these, you know, more simple stories and say, okay, what is the theme here? What is the, the message where the, they were trying to convey here? And see if you can spot it. And if you can, and you can pull out the, the moral in these pieces here, you know, that's going to help you get better at uh, noticing it in more convoluted pieces as you kind of build up your skill set. Right. As a storyteller. I, I think it's interesting, too, when I talk with people about some of their favorite Disney characters or their favorite movie and the things that they'll come up with because different things resonate with different people. And that probably is because we've all had very different experiences. And something might resonate with me that wouldn't resonate with somebody else just because I'd be like, oh, well, I had four brothers. And so this meant a lot to me because, you know, Mulan is out here with all these men trying to be one of them trying to bring honor to her father in a way that she wasn't allowed to as mm-hmm. a woman at that time. And so it's it's fun to me. So like Mulan, I re- I love that movie, but other people may enjoy it, but not to the same extent that I do. That's interesting. Yeah. My wife is the same way. Mulan is her. She's like, I'm not a princess. 
I, I prefer Mulan. Oh, I'm totally a princess, but I love Mulan. <laughs> <laughs> and what? So what sort of stories, what are Disney stories that have resonated with you that stick with you uh, even now, whether they be ones that you saw as a, as a kid or more recent ones that have just really stuck, the, the landing stuck and the message hit and you are now a different person or, or you have something to grab hold of? Are you asking me specifically? Because I will tell Everyone. you. Everyone. It's open to all the panelists. Okay. Go. Can I start? Yeah. Yes. Um, I would like to talk about Cinderella for a minute. Um, the movie that came out in 1950 is, it's interesting when you look at it because the movie Cinderella is not really about Cinderella. Her story is there and it's important, but it's mostly about the mice. Um, and one of the things that I really appreciate with Disney starting to do some of the live action movies is that... Uh, not necessarily with all of them, but uh, with Cinderella especially, they took the opportunity to um, really flesh out Cinderella and make her somebody that little kids would really want to look up to other than just being, you know, a pretty princess who gets dressed up and goes to a ball. They have the whole message of her being kind and having courage and they show her meeting the prince who's also given a personality. And um, I, you know, I grew up just wanting to be liked and so Cinderella just always being very kind to the mice spoke to me. Um, and the fact that, I mean, that wasn't really her superpower, but she works really hard, Cinderella does. And she, when she's given the opportunity to go to the ball, I mean, it ends up not working out, but she does absolutely everything she can to make her dreams happen. And it's only to the point where she's really done everything that she can and she can't go any further that somebody else steps in. And in Cinderella, it's another woman. Um, which I've just always thought was really cool. My girlfriends mean a lot to me. And so um, having that kind of story out there, just, it's very meaningful to me. Yeah, for me, um, I was a little surprised that this is what hit me so hard was The Little Mermaid. Because King Triton's story is a lot my story. Uh, I was a single dad for most of my daughter's life. And when it gets to the end and you're looking at what King Triton will do for his daughter. And at the end, when she comes back and embraces him and goes, I love you, daddy. I lost it Aww. in the theater. <laughs> I absolutely lost it. But realizing that role of parent in that motion picture, it tells so much because you want to love your child and you want to discipline them. Mm -hmm. You want to keep them away from the dumb choices, mm -hmm. but you also have to let them make the dumb choices so that they can really learn the lessons because you cannot spoon feed knowledge or wisdom to anybody and you have to let them go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't sing it. Okay, veto. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I I liked Beauty and the Beast the most, but there wasn't really any one princess show that touched me more well, than another. See, and I would have thought you would say something like The Emperor's New Groove, because Kronk, yeah, I feel, is see? your guy. So there, <laughs> something, something like that, something silly that, is there really a message? I mean, I guess there's a, there's a message about learning and growing and seeing other people, but mm -hmm. I the ones that I liked the most were those uh, big five... We'll call them. I, I like to call them the sensational six because I think Daisy deserves to be in there. But yeah, I, those those big five sensational six uh, short stories that were kind of in between the princess movies, you know, mm -hmm. from the old ones and, and then those ones that came out in the 80s. Yeah. So Mickey Mountain, those Prince and the Popper and uh, 
I'm well, I'm drawing a blank on them, but those Mickey's are the Christmas ones I like Carol. the most. Mickey's Christmas Carols. Yeah, they're the ones that that are basically taken from classic literature and just they're plugged into, or they they take the the big five and they just plug them in there. And I, I loved those ones. They resonated with me in the sense that they they taught me more about classic literature than I was going to learn on my own because. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this or not, listeners. I didn't pick up a book until I was 37. No, but I mean... And he's currently 38. Yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. So, but I wish. Man, I yeah. wish I were 38. But, so it, it's those ones that, that spoke to me the most. But as I've come to appreciate, I've, as I've come to have kids and I've come to watch those. Yeah, I, I love the, the princess shows. I mean, especially for the girl power aspects because I have daughters who I want to realize that they're more than just, you know, I'm going to grow up and get married and then my husband's going to take care of me. And I feel like it's been a good experience for my daughters to see independent young women who can make it on their own and stuff and who can solve their own problems. And so mm -hmm. there's a long answer for a short question. <laughs> um, along those lines, I burned through two VHSs growing up. One was Return of the Jedi <laughs> and the other was called An Officer and a Duck. And it was, <laughs> yeah. if you're not familiar with that, it's a compilation <laughs> of Donald Duck being drafted into the army. Oh, yeah. They are great and has one of the most, uh, now we, we went back and rewatched recently and I was like, Donald gets, he thinks he gets sawed in half and falls into a hole. Like, it, it, it got dark. It, mm -hmm. dark, it gets dark Oh, really yeah, those, those old yeah. ones, they really did. They were, they were not sensitive on very many levels. But, well, you, go ahead. Oh, I was just, I was just going to say like that I, my character, it was, it's a character that connected with me more than anything else. I, I watch the stories differently now, um, with my son and they do resonate differently, but the one character who clicked with me and I went there, I am on stage or on, on screen was Wally. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. That is my character. I adore him. I adore his story. The drive to showcase that to be loved to want to be loved to showcase value and to just try his hardest to just do the simple thing for something that's mm -hmm. for someone that he cares so much about he's not trying to save the world with the, the he's just like she wants the plant and i and i like eve so i want to give that I to her plant. it's nice. so simple and that's wally is my character that is mine do you guys remember the goofy world of sports of course oh, yeah. oh. That was me trying to do sports when I was a kid, so I love uh, those. Yeah. <laughs> oh, see, and if we're asking what character we are, I'm Jane from Tarzan. I am <laughs> super awkward around guys that I'm interested in and talk to myself all the time and also inanimate objects and little animals. <laughs> and she frequently loses her boot. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's not a great movie in my, like, it's not my favorite movie, but I really love Jane. <laughs> Can I ask? Can I ask a topic yeah. change? Is that I wondered which you guys preferred? Um, the the classic Disney animation often was in like the past in Italy or classic France or or medieval mm -hmm. England that, and then you come into the Pixar stuff where now we're looking at taking fantasy into the modern world and or into the futuristic world with Wally, but I'm talking about like Toy Story and those movies or Ratatouille where we're bringing fantasy into the modern setting. Which do you prefer? Because I really dig this whole modern fantasy kind of thing. I think it depends on the story that they're telling. I don't know Usually that I have does, a preference. With Disney, 
I I kind of like the old school stuff. I admit, it's I, Tangled is one of my top five oh, favorite yeah. Disney movies. But the first time I saw it, I really struggled because everybody was so modern in it. Best day ever and all of this. And I, I was expecting, you know, it was a princess movie. I was expecting something more like Sleeping Beauty being very, um, I don't know, within the time period. And so... The second time I saw it, I knew what to expect, and I loved it, and I'm all about that now. But it, it, I struggled with that at the beginning. That one got a little dark for my kids, too, by the way, with this whole stabbing in the kidney and all that. Mm-hmm. Whoa. This is a thing. Uh, I think setting-wise, classic versus modern, or kind of the more modern setup there, for me, I, I don't really have a preference as to I, I like one or the other. I prefer the newer animation style to the older styles, just of my own aesthetic. Yeah. But in terms of setting... Um, if the story is told well and the setting executes well, then I'm I'm fine with it. I'm happy with it, and that's I don't know that that's generally my feel. I I love swords and sorcery type stuff, so putting it in that realm is nice, uh, which is probably I think part of the reason why Tangled all you know Tangled is also one that sits high on my radar because it, it's a great world there. But then again, you also all know my great affinity for the Stars of Wars, and that's <laughs> you know. Slightly different setting, uh, similar piece. So, Wars of the Stars. <laughs> Jim? For me, the, the conversation would have to be, so what is it you liked about the animation of the 30s? And I'll tell you. <laughs> what do you like about the 40s? And I'll tell you. Oh, okay. What do you like about every decade? There is at least one, if not more, pieces of animation that I cling to. And I have loved watching that evolution. I don't think, from my aesthetic... There's a better in the old, a better in the new. Every decade has spoken to that decade, and it's reflected that decade, and I love what it has said about that time. So my answer is no answer. I like it. I want to I jump on this a little bit with animation because animation is such a unique version of storytelling, and it's where Disney began. Like that's, that's, Animation is what gives us everything else we have at this point. Um, I was actually, while we were prepping for this, reading a little bit, there's a letter that Walt sent out um, about training animators. If you haven't uh, read it, it's it's a longer memo uh, that he put out there, but it lays out so much of what animation is and should be in terms of understanding uh, what is it you should, like, as you're studying and preparing to be to do animation, you know, study reality, but that's not what you're trying to depict, you need to get a caricature enough so that people can recognize they can recognize the reality, but be in the this fantasy that we've created this this magical world here. Uh, I read through that and it's great. And uh, if you ever want something, if you're into animation, you want something interesting, go look up the um, the nine. The, I am really struggling today connecting things, but it's the nine the, the nine, nine old the men. nine old men nine yes. old men. Yeah, if you don't know anything about the nine old men in animation, you you need to get into that. And, and even uh, in history, Disney history, you've got to learn about the nine old men. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think any artist, and especially in animation, an artist is is drawing because they have a story to tell. Either it's because of like it's a story of whatever the landscape is, what it makes them think of when they see it, or if they're painting a person or drawing a person like they have some kind of character in mind because if you just if you just draw a flat human well that is not interesting but um animators and true artists know that if you can add something to that character that makes them somehow relatable or have a gleam in their eye 
or a quirky smile. It's something that people will be drawn to and will want to look at and will want to know more about. What are the principles in animation that I think Disney does a really good subliminal job of employing is squash and stretch, <laughs> where you can take a character and treat them like silly putty yep. and, you know, get them to extremes for comic effect, for horrific effect sometimes, and you watch who gets squashed and stretched and who doesn't. For example, in Sleeping Beauty, you watch Aurora. She's never squashed or stretched. She is pristine and perfect. Same thing with the prince, with uh, Prince Philip. You go to the three fairies, and there's some squash and stretch that happens. You go to animals, there is squash and stretch. And you see those changes happen. Uh, the goons get squashed and stretched like crazy. And you go to a piece like Emperor's New Groove, and your protagonist is Silly Putty. Mm -hmm. And so is Kronk, and so is Yzma. And you find out that humor is achieved through the various tools that the animator has. Um, just recently had a conversation with Floyd Norman, one of the Disney animators, who is a Disney legend. And he started off, and he said, and this is how we all start off, as in-betweeners. And he said, and if people don't understand what an in-betweener is, an animator will draw a character, and they will draw that character a few seconds later, and then they just give those two drawings to the in-betweener and say, fill in the action. And you just put everything that's in between, and you realize that Disney thinks in terms of landing those moments, and the animators land moments, looks, expressions, and then the story that happens from moment to moment is where you feel all of that action, all that motion, all of that uh, setup that eventually pays off. Like good volleyball, mm. upset spike. Upset spike. I, I want to ask you, Jim, early Disney animation is unique in this fact that there really wasn't an animation that existed at the time. Yeah. There. Uh, now we have so many different variations, so many different uh, styles and everything. It's, it's its own incredible world. What do you think it is about the early animation that connected with people that allowed it to grow into what it is now? A couple of ideas about that. It's okay. a great question. Um, first off, I think that in pieces like Pinocchio and Snow White and Bambi, they did such elaborate artwork for their backgrounds. They created these works of art that are just stunning and so the characters really pop off the page, off of the screen. And you feel that depth of world with a two-dimensional character, but you still feel their roundness in that world. Then you take something like Dumbo, and with Dumbo, the circus world is more like the characters. And Disney was smart enough to know that. And the same thing with Fantasia, uh, the Sorcerer's Apprentice sequence so unique and so different and you contrast what that does with the rite of spring with the dinosaurs and you contrast that with the dance of the hours with the hippos and the alligators and you go they define the story they're telling in the way they animate it mm -hmm. the sleeping beauty uh they definitely were going to that whole feudal slash uh medieval period and so they went much more two-dimensional in the environments, but that's also when they had the first use of multiplane cameras 
being used on a feature in that same way. And so, uh, like when they're doing the procession at the beginning and singing about Aurora's birth, and you see all of those soldiers and citizens marching on different planes, and you go, well, that's really simplistic animation. It's almost like South Park. It's almost like cutouts (laughs) moving across the screen, but it's still telling that story, and it's like you're watching tapestries. And I think... I think that's where where a lot of their genius lies, is the audience is being told how to watch that piece of animation. I had never connected the tapestry piece on Sleeping Beauty. That's that is going to be that, that's going. Now <laughs> Ryan, I'm going to go back and be Ryan's like, okay, wait be a rushing out to watch wait Sleeping Beauty next night. watch. <laughs> yeah, not well, usually when I rush to go watch, but now I'm. That's just because art styles that that's connected yeah. with me. I like so. that. Just as another example of um, the growing art styles um i saw up and tangled in 3d the first time i saw Mm. them because that was an option and i I remember with up not really noticing it except for in the textures in the different fabrics in the balloons yes um which was really cool but when i was watching tangled that scene where they have all of the lanterns going around i felt like i was in that scene and it i cried it was magical Mm -hmm. it was amazing (laughs) Disney just using every tool that they had. I'm kind of sad they don't continue to do 3D things that I'm aware of. Not really. 3D, I mean, 3D keeps coming and going in phases, but it's a lot more controlled now, and they're doing it a lot better than they used to. Yes. Right. 3D, so it's working better. But I want to grab a hold of that and shift our topic just a little bit in terms of these new and innovative ways of storytelling and shift us into park discussion a little bit more. Okay. Because in the last... 10 years at least, we mm-hmm. have seen an exponential growth in the in new styles of storytelling in live entertainment. This, mm-hmm. yeah. um, And you've all heard me geek out over Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> um, so good. Some of the previews that they've given about the Marvel campus and the ride that they've got going there that, that's going to have virtual, uh, virtual reality type setups. Yeah. I mean... Oh. We are, we are reaching an incredible new era of storytelling where immersion is no longer just this nice concept of the world around you looks like where you're supposed to be and that you're hearing things. Like There is full interaction with it, and that's the way we have to think and design now uh, for an immersive storytelling experience. Yes. Yeah. So, what, uh, park-wise favorite immersive experiences or what is it that when you're in the parks that just takes you away from everything else? I'll go with one that I experienced just a couple of years ago. Um, with a friend went to Shanghai Mm -hmm. and their pirates of the Caribbean breaks all the rules. And you have experiences on that attraction where your what, 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 what factor is going through the roof (laughs) because what they do with a combination of motion and projection and special effects and lighting and uh, illusion is crazy. And there we went on it three times in two days trying to figure things out and gave up. <laughs> That's, that is incredible to me. In this day and age, you go in and... My favorite attraction moments are the ones where you still, like, you know the elements that are probably connected, but you can't quite figure it out. Yeah. So, like, for example, when they brought the Hatbox Ghost back to <laughs> the Haunted Mansion, <laughs> one of my favorite rides that is, like, I, I don't know when I connected to it or whatever, but that is one of my favorite rides at the park. And when they brought that back in, I remember watching 
the head go back in and I'm like, it's projection. And it's the uh, um, the ghost. The Pepper's ghost. Pepper's ghost. Uh, illusion. Like, I, I get that. But this is so well executed. Where where are the pieces? Where are... Mm-hmm. And I yeah. just... I, I can't quite piece it together. I know that it's there. but So I, I watch that even now. And I've seen breakdowns of it. I know how it works now more so. But I still watch it and go, there's no seams here. There, It's just... Yeah. It's beautiful storytelling of this. I wish the Haunted Mansion's overall story like if there's some novels and things like that i wish the haunted mansion story was more widely known yes. because there yeah, is some absolutely great sub stories going on mm-hmm. with the bride with you know the Hatbox ghost has a story uh the ghost host has a story madame leota everyone has a story in there yeah, yeah. so the grim grinning ghosts you know the yeah the the busts I, it's it's all just it's fantastic i think my favorite is probably pirates in Disneyland. I have I, mm-hmm. one day I'm going to get to Shanghai. I'm, you know, maybe also not. go to Tokyo because it's amazing. That's yep. the one. That's my next. I, okay. but we have to wait until the Tangled Land is open. Apparently, mm-hmm. according to my daughter, who is obsessed. She's 23, mm-hmm. <laughs> but still obsession knows no age. We're clearly we're a group of four <laughs> people. Who's I was going to say, look <laughs> at like, look at us. Yeah, no so, shame. But I the. Pirates of the Caribbean in Disneyland in Magic Kingdom mm-hmm. is the one that always brings me back when I was young and and would watch it or would experience it and just it, it's dark and the mist you can smell the mist you can taste the humidity mm-hmm. you know and it, it's everything about it when you come into the the fort uh what's what's the fort called the fort by the boat. Yeah, the, yeah, I don't know. I I think it has a name now. It has a hidden Mickey on it. It, it does. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> but it, all of the experience of, of going through there and seeing seeing the pirates and the townsfolk, and then coming back again later and seeing the pirates and the townsfolk, and seeing how things have changed, and still just wanting to experience it again and again, and it feels every time the way that they have advanced technology every time feels like. It is more and more real, and it's it's crazy. I love that whole experience. I think that ride is one of the best examples of dark ride storytelling in the park. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely it is. Because you follow a narrative, and it's a pretty obvious, it's a relatively obvious narrative, even before there was a movie to explain right. early mm-hmm. things. and Even pre-Jack Sparrow, it was, yeah. you understood what was going on. It's oh, yeah. It's what I wish Haunted Mansion was in terms of storytelling. I think there could be a, a narrative in Haunted Mansion that would be a little more clear like it is with Pirates. But I've noticed a lot in the more recent rides that they, they created. Now they have, uh, and they do it with Haunted Mansion a little bit, but now with more of the trackless ride systems, mm-hmm. it's it's a camera focus thing. They they, they turn you, the, the rides are yep. camera focus, and they shift yeah. you around, and, and, and they control that narrative as you're moving through. Um, I haven't been on them yet, but things like the new Mickey train ride out in Disney World. Mm-hmm. Um, the... Uh, right. Mystic Mansion. Oh, have you I, been I, on all of these, Jim? I, I I still have Hong Kong to go. Okay, and Mystic Manor Mansion, whichever it yeah. is, that is my bucket list attraction. Right. That is like I gotta. Yeah, and I have forced myself to turn off the ride through videos uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> because I get a taste of it. And I go no 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 too good too good save it <laughs> don't save, spoil it, save it. it I don't want to know push yeah. it away. Can well, I? Yeah, and this is the thing. Like I think. When it comes to live event narrative, it's when you go to a lot of other places and not to name names universal, um, (laughs) (laughs) 
there has to be more to it than just the setting. Mm-hmm. And I know that some people would probably argue with me that, they, you know, that there are places in Disneyland or in California Adventure or whatever, where that's really all, of, you know, that's all it is, is setting. I don't personally agree with that, but that's also a bias from being trained up as a Disney fan from from birth here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I remember I, when we went uh, one of our earlier trips, we spent our normal days in Disney, and then we went to spend one day over in Universal. And Harry Potter World is fantastic. It's a yes. wonderful, immersive experience. It's yes. great. Everything else is For about just, 45 minutes. Well, what, yeah. Yeah. But everything else felt very much like we have painted this to look like the world that you know. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the enjoy the sights, but it's not an immersive experience. No. Um, and that's what I want now. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, Disney going forward, they, they've showcased that they can do it, and I hope that they continue to do it, because that's kind of the bar for me now. Mm-hmm. When I walk into Cars Land, I want to feel like I'm in Cars Land. I want, you know... Yeah. Whatever it is, that's what I want. And yep. that's the level of storytelling I need to see. I think they also have a sophistication meter that they use in terms of, based on the subject matter, the land, the focus of the attraction, how sophisticated the immersion has to be. Mm-hmm. For example, the Winnie the Pooh ride. <laughs> I love the Winnie the Pooh ride. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because you just go through like four little Pooh tails and just pay attention to how the vehicle moves. As you're going through the rainy day, it bobs and weaves. When Tigger's there, you bounce. When it's the blustery day, you feel blown around slightly. It's like, and that's all you need. Yep. Because you've got all those sweet little details. And it's like, and the age target for that attraction is going to be younger. And that's super duper. You, If you had the chance to experience Alien Encounter... At Disney World, <laughs> that was horrifying. Yeah. It was creepy beyond creepy and claustrophobic, and it wasn't a fan favorite, but boy, they did it well. <laughs> I remember reading a story about the alien actually sliding off of the, the track or whatever down into <laughs> an audience member once, and that man has a lifetime pass to yeah. Disney parks. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh, that is I would fun. take a falling animatronic for a lifetime pass. I, I'll put I it right would. there. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and... One that I think is really cool where they do try to immerse you in that is Turtle Talk with Crush. Yes. Where they actually have the animators who are improvising and interacting with the audience. And I, when I went to Tokyo Disneyland, I made my friend go with me to Turtle Talk with Crush, even though we didn't understand anything that was going on. Mm -hmm. She was so tired of not understanding what was happening on anything. It was the third day. And uh, I just remember standing in the room with her orientating you and kind of letting you know what was going to happen. And I, and I'm sitting here listening to this woman thinking, this is the job that I want someday because she was so animated, so excited and getting everybody else so excited about this experience. Mm -hmm. And she had this monologue where she just started talking faster and faster and faster. And I just thought it was the funniest thing ever. And I don't speak Japanese, but I knew what was happening and it was so fun. And I just kind of thought that was amazing that even it even transcended language for me. It didn't necessarily for the friend I was with, but it was a pretty great experience. <laughs> I think Megan brings up a really great point that we haven't addressed yet, which is pre-show mm-hmm. yeah. and the idea of cue lines and how you are being prepared for the experience that you're going to have. And Disney has gotten better and better and better oh, at yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, yes, there are still some that are just like, 
torturous turnstiles and back and forth and back and forth. They're working to eliminate those one by one. But the, the Peter Pan attraction in Walt Disney World now, as you go through the various rooms of the Darling oh, House yeah. and play with shadows and have fairy dusts, pixie dust sprinkled upon you, and the same thing with the Haunted Mansion queue line in Walt Disney World. They've just given you more to prime you for that experience as opposed to just saying, stand in line for X amount of hours and then you get your payoff. Well, you start getting your payoff right away. Yeah, it's interesting where they've kind of made it an incentive to wait in the entire line. Yes. Um, The first time I went on the new, it was the Tower of Terror. What is it now called? The Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes ride um mission breakout i waited in the whole line because i missed the fast pass and it told me it would only be a 25 minute wait and that was not true um but i i waited in the whole line and they have while you're in the queue line they're kind of telling you oh this is where you are and these are the characters Mm -hmm. and yada 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 and you kind of find out what's going on and then you go into the ride and you know more happens but I, ever since then, I have skipped the regular line and just done the fast pass. And you miss a lot doing that. And it's yeah. same with um, Smuggler's Run, where if you wait in the whole line, you get mm. the whole thing with Hondo and you have a, ba- a better idea of what's happening. Whereas if you skip it and just do single rider, you don't necessarily have that same information. And if you go through that line and you're on your data pad, if you actually open up the Play Disney app and get through all that, there's there's some depth of storytelling there. So much there. stuff to do right yeah. there. Yeah. I remember... My first time to Disney World was actually only three years ago. Um, I when we got into the Run Disney races, um, mm-hmm. I, I love doing Run Disney races now. It's my favorite race, and I don't like running, but I like doing those. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I did the. It was in Disneyland that year. I went and did the uh, Run Disney, uh, the Light Side Challenge that year. And if you do both sides of the park, you get a Coast to Coast medal, and you get the Kessel Run medal for doing the Star Wars ones. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go do the dark side challenge over in Florida. I've never been anything. So I booked and it was just me. I left my wife, left my son behind everybody. I just went just me. And I'm like, I'm just going to run the races. It's fine. I have a friend out there. I'll see if, you know, maybe I can say hi to her or something like that. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. other than that, like I'm just there to run the races. And yeah, I got in there and I went into the parks and I remember just like, seven dwarfs mind train i'm like oh. okay i'm going here and i go through that queue line i look down and there's these gem games and i'm going yes. yeah, yep what is this why is this not and then same thing haunted mansion going on the side and like they've got the player organ and things like that i'm going mm-hmm. oh my gosh all these elements are fantastic mm-hmm. i love all these pieces fantasy land left a little to my left a little bit to be desired in my opinion but mm-hmm. the rest of the queue lines everything yeah it was it was great um, we are running short on time here. I know Ken has taken some time to actually prepare some questions for us, a lightning round of sorts. I, I, I joked about it with, uh, with the rest of the team in preparing this, that I was only going to create five and then 17 questions later. Yeah. Did you stop at 17 when we told you to? Yeah. And, I, and then I cut it back down. So I have eight. I was like, I, I'm hoping we see a, see a less number. So eight. Well, okay, we'll, we'll try to answer fast. quickly. I have eight, and these are lightning, okay? Okay. So, so here we go. First question. Uh, favorite of the nine old men? If you have one. I, I have a feeling that Jim has one. Mark Davis. Same. Absolutely. Bring Mark Davis. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't pull names you off. You might like Mark Davis. He's the guy who uh, was instrumental in creating both Pirates and the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. 
and uh, basically started uh, Walt Disney uh, Imagineering. So, yeah, yeah, I also love Ward Kimball's Insanity. Duh. Oh, yeah. And Frank Thomas. Anyway, okay. Um, if you could live in any land of any park, which would it be? Andalasia. Oh, just kidding. Never mind. I was thinking movies. Everybody else go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, no question. You know where I would stay. Galaxy's oh. Edge. You would definitely stay on Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. Just because if you have to live in a place, you have to love the environment. I would want to be in Pandora in Animal Kingdom. Oh, that sure. is a good one. Just because it feeds your spirit. That is such an amazing park. I would probably say New Orleans Square, which is not my favorite, but pound for pound with the rides and the food. Speaking mm -hmm. of feeding, you know. Pound for probably, pound, that's where you're going to go and cut straight to food? Literally pound, pound, pound. for pound, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Your Disney dream job, if you could have one. I've got this. I would be the greeter at the Grand Floridian Hotel. Oh. All you're going to do is welcome people in who are ready to be happy. That is a good one. I'd like to create my own job where I've, I would like to be one of the photographers, but I specifically would like to be a photographer at the rides and like take pictures of families going on the Dumbo ride because you always want a picture of your kid and you on that ride. So, sorry, I, I will make this a quick tangent. I have looked into legitimately being, do, there are people who go and they, they live there and mm -hmm. their job is just doing family pictures for people in <gasps> Disneyland. Yeah. That is a thing. That yeah. is a thing. You can I'll actually also go straight through Disney and do it. It's about $1,200, but you can go in after the park closes or before the park opens to do photos in Toontown or Cars Land. You can do that through Disney. But that is amazing. The last time we went, we're, we're usually annual pass holders. And so we don't mind dedicating an hour or two of our time doing something else. Mm -hmm. And so we went to find photos in non-common places in Disneyland for our family. So we have a photo actually up in the train station entrance. Mm. There we have oh, one back. There's one wow. of the lamposts where Roger Rabbit's tune. Uh, oh, yeah. There's a garage off to the side. Nobody, like, there's a well. Uh -huh. People just kind of sit there. But there's nothing really there to draw your eye. Mm -hmm. But if you frame it, it becomes this cartoonish, beautiful photo. And so we did some there. Uh, we got a couple on a lamppost over where you can get the Matterhorn behind. There's some really great spots. Mm. So that is a real thing. Oh. Yay! You could do that, Megan. Yes. Hold on to that dream. I have, I have kind of done that for some of my family, and I've actually had people who ask me, like, if we brought you out, would you do it? Yes. If you, <laughs> yes. If you pay I for me too. to get out there, I will do it for you. Oh, heck yeah. So, that. Yeah, I would what be happy your... to just follow you around and take pictures. I love these lightning rounds. They're so... <laughs> they're so, so lightning. And what was yours? Uh, dream job? I, if my dream job there would have to be Jungle Cruise Skipper. I mean, come That's on. That's a good one. Is there, there's no better place for my personality than there. I had this question on Jim's podcast, and my answer was not a specific job, but any job that I had, I'd want to be, uh, I'd want it to be one where I could wear my own clothes, because oh. you know those guys are high up. So mm. security guard, or, or you know, corporate or executive, yeah. yeah. And anyway. I do have like one bonus answer on All this, right. just because Rise of the Resistance, I would, I would absolutely want to be one of those people who takes people in through the queue line. And marshals them and bullies them. Oh, yeah. That'd be that would so be so cool. Fun. The power. <laughs> join uh -huh. join the first order. Yes, please. Fun. All right. So grumpy. Which Disney character would you most like to air quotes be friends with? Oh. And you know the air quotes means which one would you want to be? Uh I'm going to go with Princess Anna. Okay. Yeah. You'd be a cute Princess Anna. I know. I'm too chirpy to be one of the sedate princesses. Character I'd be friends with Flynn Rider. Oh, <laughs> there you yes. go. Yeah, Flynn Rider. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not one that I would ever be allowed to do, but Doctor Facilier. 
Ooh. I am, I, you know, a bit completely out of the realm of age and type and race and everything there. Yeah. But we have met a couple of awesome Dr. Fusilities. Yeah. Yeah. I dig him big time. I uh, give me a head and make me grumpy because it's just who I am. <laughs> so, um, Disney pins or autographs or pressed pennies, uh, favorite Disney souvenir. I have a very large collection of Disney pins. Um, I have worked that system thoroughly. Oh, yeah. Same. I'm not really a souvenir person, so I'm going with photo books. It's a good one. Okay. I like yep. it. I have lanyards that are themed. An entire lanyard that is holidays. One that's international travel. One that's just Peter Pan. So, pins. Pin guy. Yep. Seems like a consensus. Get on it, Megan. <laughs> ah. Uh, favorite Disney attraction and why? Uh I'm going with uh, Indiana Jones Adventure because I like to pretend like I'm I'm not really an adventurous person. So for those eight minutes or whatever, I can be a part of the adventure and it's awesome. And I love the music. My favorite growing up was always Star Tours Space Mountain. I love Tomorrowland. Uh, but I, like I said earlier, Haunted Mansion for some reason has just crept into my heart and is that is my ride right now. Love it. Peter Pan is my tradition. First time... In the first moment into the park, you go straight to Peter Pan, but my soul filler is Soren. Oh, that's a good one. Transportive. For me, Space Mountain, first, last, always. So, um, Your favorite gone attraction that you would most like to bring back? My favorite gone attraction that I would bring back in a heartbeat is the original Journey into Imagination at Epcot. It was superior it has been replaced by something that I will not give a grade to because I don't want to be hunted down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want the stuffed potato uh, cabin place back. <laughs> I miss it. It used to be open. I think they, they actually might have brought brought it back, but it's where Mickey and the Magical Map is now. Mm -hmm. Yes. They had a stuffed potato there that was like, it's, that was a day's meal for us. It's sometimes. still there. It's there yeah. again. Okay. Yeah. I was... I wish the people mover back to Disneyland. You and me. You and me both. That's Absolutely. the one I want. That's the one I want as well. And go ahead. Ooh, or the sky buckets. Anyway, continue. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and okay, last question. Favorite Disney treat, Megan? Churro. Jim? <laughs> Pass. Come back to me. Churro. I, I buy two, one for each hand. Yes. That's not an exaggeration. <laughs> I literally do. We're, we're a huge Disney food family, as you guys know, but uh, give me the Dole Whip any day. I don't know that this qualifies as a treat, but my favorite thing to eat at Disney, bar none, is the firecracker duck wings at Carthay Circle Restaurant. Oh. They set my mouth on fire nearly to the point of blistering. I would eat them every day of my life. I'm writing that down. Fire yes. Circle duck wings. Firecracker duck wings. Firecracker. Okay. At Carthay Circle, which I still have not eaten at, but it's next on the list. So that- All right. And that's it. That's that's a lightning round. All right. That was an extended <laughs> summer storm lightning round <laughs> version. Uh, well, To quote Baymax, we are not fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, first off, I want to say thank you to all three of you for being on this episode. Thanks um, for inviting. And for being willing to talk Disney. It's something we don't get to talk about a whole lot, but we all really freak out about and enjoy. So it's been nice to be able to chat about that over, on, over some microphones. Uh, just going back to quick thing, uh, housekeeping, don't forget, uh, you can subscribe to this podcast uh, on your favorite podcatcher. You can join our conversations on Reddit, Discord, any of our social media uh, like that. And you can also support the, uh, the podcast on Patreon. Uh, other than that, anyone uh, let final thoughts? Jim, 
What's yours? Well, oh, yes. people can uh, find me on uh, Instagram and Facebook, both with Mickey's Concierge and also with That Old Mouse Magic. And the podcast can be followed on Twitter as well and find it on all major platforms. Great. Check that out, and everybody. Subscribe. It's great. All right. Well, uh, anybody have any di- last moment Disney thoughts? You have to get out on the mic. No. Thank you, Walt. Yeah. Absolutely. Big thank you, Walt. That's all I'm saying. Come back soon. Ladies and gentlemen, oh boys. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who invited him? Oh. This is why we need a tech booth we can close so he can just laugh oh there. Oh my goodness. I need more things so I can throw them at Greg. Did I clip it really bad? No, you just clipped me really <laughs> bad. My, my sensibilities have been clipped. Okay. You ready for this now? Uh.